Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. of our collective dreams. But what if we look at L.A. from the point of view of the largely unphotographed? The 47% of Angelinos who don't show up so much on idiot sitcoms and superhero films. The people doing much, if not most, of the hard work of getting things done in this town. Angelinos are undocumented. One in ten. Think about that number for a while. That's who's here now. Contemplate, if you will, what would happen if anywhere near 10% of the workforce were no longer here. 
particularly since they're rather overrepresented in those fields that most of us are in no hurry to enter. Los Angeles, like much of California, used to be part of Mexico. Now, Mexico, or a whole lot of Mexicans, are a vital part of us. Raul Hinojosa Oyeda is a professor of Chicano studies at UCLA. Gishback on Washington Boulevard serves specialties from the city of Tlacalula de Maramoros in Oaxaca, Mexico. So, bro, you, you know about so Tlacolula, right? I mean, this the, is... The, the market, isn't it? Tlacolula is this village, okay, in the middle of a valley. The oldest valley where agriculture was invented in the world. These people who live here, lived there for about 10,000 years. So there's archaeological evidence of the seeds actually being manipulated. All the way back then. All the way back then. And that's where the, the, the core of, of the moles that we're going to eat right. tonight are from. Mole negro, or black mole, is an incredibly old and sophisticated, near-magical substance containing over 30 different ingredients. It's an old sauce from an old culture, used as either a base to build a stew or as a sauce to be poured over meat. But unlike most sauces, the point of mole is the mole itself. The flavor is unique, roasted, sweet, bitter, and spicy all at the same time, and deep, very, very deep. Maria Ramos is the owner and chef, the third generation of a family of barbacoa specialists. Barbacoa being the barbecuing of lamb and goat until it's falling apart perfect. She started out cooking at age 10 at the Sunday market in Tlacalula. This family goes back a number of generations to that area, yes? Exactly. And they got here because they were migrant workers in the fields of L.A. And that's where they started working in the restaurant. This show will air long after the election. Uh, there is actually a national conversation now, unthinkable in my lifetime, where the notion of rounding up however many millions of undocumented workers in this country, all at once, or in short order, and then kicking them all out. I mean, it seems unthinkable. It, it, but I mean, you know, they, they said that in Europe in the 30s. Right, right. No, I think just from a military logistical point of view, there's no way you're going to move the people out of California and out of Los Angeles. I mean, they tried that in 1954 Operation Wetback, mostly from the fields, moving a million people out, right? And they did. Yes. And what happened? What, well, first of all, a, a huge amount of U.S. citizens were picked up one day and never came home. And families were torn apart. And then the, the most ironic thing about it, and the most tragic thing, is that in the next couple of years, they said, you know what? We have to open the borders again to bring them all back, right? Mm -hmm. The problem was we never stopped wanting the workers. California's number one agricultural state and approximately about 70% of the, of the labor force is undocumented. Stuff would rot in the fields yeah. to, to start with. Right. Because number one, who would grow it and bring it here? Picking it, packing it, to a great extent processing it, uh, cooking it, it's serving, serving it, it, cleaning up cleaning after up you. After it. 
I mean, there would not only be a no restaurant business, but there would be the worst economic crisis in the history of California and the United States. Oriol is a respected and highly sought-after photographer and director known for his street portraits. He started his career as a nightclub bouncer, pivoting nicely to tour manager for Cypress Hill and House of Pain, taking beautiful photographs along the way. Now, nearly 20 years later, he's famous for capturing perfectly both the glamour and grit of his hometown Los Angeles. Mr. Cartoon is a very famous tattoo artist and designer. Cartoon began airbrushing t-shirts and lowriders before adopting and excelling at the legendary fine line style tattoo art. His work is sought after by the biggest names in the music industry and well, anyone who loves truly superb skin art. Arena on East 7th is a late night thing down the street from where Cartoon and Esteban used to live. Run by Abigail and her team, the place serves mulitas. Not quite a taco, not a quesadilla, more of a taco sandwich. First the tortilla on the grill, then marinated meat, cheese, then another tortilla, flip and serve. Arena is located in the downtown arts district but it's right across the bridge from Boyle Heights, a working-class, densely-packed neighborhood of about 100,000 residents. Nearly 95% are Mexican or Central American. How Mexican is LA? How deep does it go? Most Mexico, you know what I mean? I mean oh, yeah. All the names, all, all the people, I mean, is and you can go into certain parts in East LA, in, in the Harbor area. Hollywood area and see nothing but Latinos. A lot of other areas in LA, they're, they're mixed, you know, but on this side where we're at, you go over that bridge, it's pretty much all Mexican people. And LA's mixed with Salvadorian, Guatemalan people, Central America too, so they just get called Mexicans anyways. You know, like we're, we're Chicanos, so, you know, we, we know we're from here, we, you know, know we were born here. On this side of the line, our family relatives are from Mexico, and we're proud of that and we celebrated our style. Look, we live in unbelievable times right now. People are talking about you know, mass deportations of Mexicans. What, what, what's the problem here? Where does this uh, fear and loathing come from? It's just racism is still alive and kicking in America, you know? We really don't hear it from the people we're around. We're around artistic, laid-back people, you know? Right. Some idiot said, you know, said, we gotta do something about this situation. All these Mexicans come over, we're gonna have a taco truck on every corner. And I'm thinking, oh, is this man. a bad thing? Where would all these food trucks be, you know? There was yeah. only taco trucks a prototype for, 10 uh, years ago. Yeah. There wasn't uh, an Asian fusion truck here, or this kind of truck, an Indian food truck, or this truck, you know? Taco truck? I mean, we opened the door. We kicked the door down, yeah. White America loves Mexican food. I mean, probably more than any other food at this point. You know, they, they don't love it. They sure like cheap Mexican labor, because they can't live without it. Right. Why, why are they so freaked out about Mexicans? They, you know, nobody's talking about building a, building a wall, you know, uh, across the Canadian border. Who's gonna help them build the wall? 
You gotta have some Mexican power to do that. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was at a taco truck in Eagle Rock. It's one I go to. And I just overheard the guy's conversation. He was finishing up his order. And the guy goes, so bro, my mom told me not to eat the cilantro if it's from Mexico because they're shitting in it <laughs> to get back at Trump. I said, well, don't get me wrong, I'm all for a good Trump takedown, uh, but I'm not sure if they've got that level of organization going on in the Mexican cilantro field. <laughs> all right, everyone, gather round. Let's all start brainstorming. <laughs> no idea is a bad idea. <laughs> yes, Crazy Eddie. Okay. <laughs> this is a little outside the box. But I say we shit in the cilantro. How Mexican is Mexican? How Mexican can you be or should you be if you grew up in California with a Mexican name and a Mexican heritage? Al Madrigal is a comedian. Gustavo Arellano is the editor of OC Weekly. We discuss such weighty matters over taquitos at Cielito Lindo on Elvera Street, which has been serving the kind of stuff that made Americans fall in love with Mexican food since the 1930s. Beans with machaca, spicy shredded beef, sauce, and cheese. I believe they call these things a burrito. But what they're known for here is their taquitos. Rolled up, fried, smothered in avocado sauce, jacked with chiliguero, garlic, tomatillo, and cilantro. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I'm loving the sauce already. Oh, this is legendary sauce. Going back, I mean, 1934. Guacamole, you don't think it's going to work, but it absolutely does. Wow. Look at that bad. There's a little spice at the end. Mm -hmm. I love it. You, by your own admission, uh, you're a, sort of a sorry excuse for a Mexican. 
you, you don't have to use Spanish. Not so good. Spanish is horrible. Yeah. I, I've always been given a hard time about my Spanish. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Every Mexican in history has always given shit to another Mexican about their Spanish. You don't know this lingo. You don't know this pronunciation. But yeah, you should know Spanish better. Well, that's what I learned. This has been an age-old thing where everyone's trying to out Chicano each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I shouldn't feel that bad about it. Right, what's the expression for a bad Chicano? Pocho. Pocho. Mm -hmm. what, is there a literal translation there? Rotting. So if you say pocho, you're basically saying you're a rotting Mexican. You are completely fake. You've lost all your culture, therefore you should be hated. That's harsh. I know. When you hear, like, rounding up Mexicans left and right, sending them off, all up to camps and then putting them across the border, scary, angry? Uh... I actually think it's good. I think Latinos need this to rally together to, it's like the world needs aliens to land to all actually come together. <laughs> Is there anybody who could rally all Mexicans? You know, like a spokesperson, yeah. No, like a Mexican Reagan. The last big leader was Cesar Chavez, and that was God, what, 25 years ago at this point. I mean, you have to have almost a messianic figure. Yeah, I have a, I have the answer. Who? Danny Trejo. Oh, Danny wow. Trejo. People love him. Danny Trejo would be the man. He'd be, that, that's the Machete. guy. I'd vote Machete for him. for president? I would totally vote for him. <laughs> he looks good with his shirt off. Donald Trump can't say that. Or Clinton could say that. Danny Trejo's still peeling that shirt off. He's the baddest dude in the history of badass. Look up badass in the dictionary. It says Trejo. Danny Trejo. Born in Echo Park in L.A., he spent much of his early life in and out of prison, including a stay in San Quentin where he managed to straighten shit out, join a 12-step program, and rethink his life. He came out of the joint as a drug counselor. This led directly, if unexpectedly, to a storied career in film. Danny Trejo is known and loved for iconic tough guy roles in such films as Heat. There's cops all over me, and they're on me like a cheap suit. From Dusk Till Dawn. Get out! And Once Upon a Time in Mexico. But he finally rose to the action hero leading man status he always deserved, playing Machete. This is the boss. A character who grew out of a fake trailer from the Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino film Grindhouse, which soon became its own awesome and gore-heavy franchise. If you haven't seen Machete, its follow-up Machete Kills, or soon-to-be-released Machete in Space, it's like missing the Citizen Kane of violent, family-friendly fun. Trejo's Cantina on Cohenga Boulevard. Because, of course. Grand opening is still a few days away, but I thought, since I'm in town, I'd help advise Danny on the new menu, give him the benefit of my tasting notes. And I gotta be honest, I was thinking, how good could it be? Can Machete run a good restaurant? And why? So we're going to see uh, Trejo's Tacos all across America at some point? Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Taco truck on every corner. <laughs> <laughs> this is delicious. Awesome. On the menu tonight, Jidori chicken with chipotle cream sauce, some charred branzino with summer squash and sautéed poblano peppers, and crispy pork tacos with black garlic mole and some fat sacks of uni and lots of healthy greens. Why healthy? 
I mean, we have such an obese problem in the United States, especially Latinos. So we had to find a way to make it tasty, but healthy. Healthy food can taste good. Clean, healthier, lighter, locally sourced versions of Mexican street classics are not exactly what I'd expected. And I sure as shit ain't making no rude cracks about vegan tacos. Not to this man. Though to be fair, Danny Trejo is like the nicest guy in the world. Here's something I discovered that completely shocked and surprised me. So I have to ask you, are you a Morrissey fan by any chance? Morrissey. Like from this band, The Smiths, apparently it's like a British rock band of the late 80s that is apparently hugely popular in the Chicano community. So you have not been touched by this, I, uh, this, I, uh, I'm going to tell no. you something right now between me and you. I listen to no music that, uh, came after the 1968. <laughs> no. I'm like an oldies guy, you know what I mean? So, I don't know, your parents, your parents were born in Texas. Yeah. But can you trace your people back to one area of Mexico? Monterrey. My my uh, my grandmother and grandfather were born in Monterrey. Did you speak Spanish at home? Yeah. Or? Yeah, we spoke we spoke I spoke Spanish till I was about nine, ten, and then you know, usually you stop speaking Spanish when you go to grammar school, especially in the fifties, because they wouldn't let you. No, no, you don't speak Spanish, you know, so you kind of forget. Right. So then but then when you start going to juvenile hall and, and jail you you pick it up again so the guards won't know what you're talking about. Uh, did you get in a 12-step in while you were still in prison or after? Well, I was in prison. That was 1968. Cinco de Mayo, 1968. That was where I just kind of like made a vow. I'm, you know, I'm done. Yeah. When you get out, you became a drug counselor. Uh, I dedicated my life to helping other people. Everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. Everything. Well, for example, uh, you were called to a film set mm -hmm. to counsel somebody. Yeah. And you bump into, of all the people in the world, Edward Bunker. Eddie Bunker. The sort of legendary ex-con turned right. writer and uh, I guess screenwriter as well. I, I knew Eddie in prison. You see, and so when he saw me, what are you doing here? I said, I'm working with this kid. And then uh, he asked me, are you still boxing? Because I have to tell the lightweight and welterweight champion of every joint I was in. I said, I I'm training. I still train, but I don't get hit in the face anymore. And he said, uh, we need somebody to train one of the actors how to box. The movie was the awesome Runaway Train. Trejo trained and fought against the actor Eric Roberts, who, along with John Voight, earned Academy Award nominations for the film. For Danny, it was the start of a long and glorious career. He never looked back. I'll never forget Andrei Kozlovsky, the director, Russian aristocrat, right? He says, you fight Eric in movie. You be my friend. Now, if you come out of the penitentiary and somebody says, you be my friend, it's, it's kind of a red flag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then how many films since then? A whole hell of a lot. Uh, they got to be at about 320 or something, you know? You moved from there to serious bad guys yeah. to now uh, action hero franchise. How do you stay nice in a business basically full of assholes? Eddie Bunker, the first time when I started getting like a little recognition, he told me something. He said, try to remember that the whole world can think you're a movie star, but you can't. And I watch movie stars, right? I hate them. You know, they, you know nobody likes them. And, and if you like, 
If you're like on a movie set and the movie star comes in, then after he leaves, this is how everybody t- that guy's a nasty. I hate that guy. Man, he's rude. So I I don't want to be that guy. Right. You know what I mean? One of the things I learned actually making television really early on, if like you show up to, to like shoot and the people like with the cameras and the crew say, oh, the talent is on set. What they really mean is the asshole is on set. <laughs> you know, if somebody calls me the talent or refers to me as the talent, it's like time to go back and take a long look in the mirror, right? You know? <laughs> from L.A., but from time to time, you'll find them here. And when you do, you best play nice. Gilbert Melendez, Nick Diaz, and Nate Diaz, three of the greatest mixed martial artists to ever fight in an octagon. Gilbert holds the distinction of being one of the few MMA fighters to be ranked number one in the world in two weight classes. Nate and his older brother Nick are both vicious strikers and grapplers. And about as tough as it gets in a professional setting or on the street. Neither particularly likes to fight, they say, but should the situation call for it? Well, let's put it this way they will. Nick and Nate grew up in Stockton and still live there and train there. Conor McGregor mocked Nate for teaching kids jiu-jitsu in his hometown. That was before Nate chased him around the octagon like a little deer in his last close decision. In one of the greatest fights in UFC history, Nate Diaz shocked the world, but on very short notice, he stepped in and submitted McGregor in two rounds. Nate Diaz! He lost the second bout by decision, but there will surely be a third. And no matter what happens, Nate Diaz always brings it. Mariscos Chente on South Sentinella. What did you What do you eat growing up? Like, what do you, in your house, when you were little kids, what kind of food do you eat? What's lunch? Uh, Macaroni, cheese, yeah, and hot dogs. Hot dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like basically like Every top ramen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hot dogs, mac and cheese. Some ghetto juice. What no. are you? You know, rice and beans and some sort of Mexican, there's some sort of protein with it and everything, you know? Right. I'm not vegetarian, but I learned a lot from them though. I was like pretty much vegan for um, for years, really. Even as a kid? Like I no. like I stopped eating land animals, period. Like I, I was I've been vegetarian, but I've been eating seafood on and off. But I've been vegetarian since I was like 18 years. Since I was 18 years old, I just would do better cutting weight when I would just go on like a vegetarian diet. I end up, you know, nice and light, and then I get stronger. And then um, once he started fighting pro too, I think he kind of started doing the same type of thing. When you eat in LA, you're going out for food. Well, you're going out for Asian, going out for pad thai, going out for good food's pretty convenient around here, of course. I go to uh, I go to uh, Venice Beach. I go to Cafe Gratitude. And that's a really good place. What do you do? 
like vegan, vegetarian, uh, all the way. I get off the plane, yeah. I go right to In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> and the last thing I do while I'm in town is I stop at In-N-Out Burger. I, <laughs> that stuff is like crack for me, I gotta have it. <laughs> oh, so good. Marisco Shente serves shrimp. Lots and lots of shrimp. The house special, Camarones Borrachos, or Drunken Shrimp, sautéed in butter and garlic over high heat. Add cilantro and crushed peppers and finish with tequila. your first fight like in school like what grade what first first grade no <laughs> yeah this is what we're talking about first fight right one time i was in sixth grade and i went down to the baseball field waiting for foul balls because when you catch a foul ball you get free soda or a bag of chips or something and i caught the ball and one of the baseball players was mad because a littler kid was trying to wrap and get so, what's up? Why don't you let him get the ball? I'm like, shut up. I've been waiting all day for this ball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was a little kid. He was trying to get in a fight with me. And I'm with these guys and they're all hardcore. And I'm in my head like, man, why are they going to make me fight this guy? Because we're <laughs> in my head, right? I'm like, man, they make me fight this guy. And we're like going at it. And I've never been punched in my face so many times in my life. <laughs> I was just a little kid. You just swing kind of wide back. I got hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why you make me fight? That's the main. <laughs> Why you make me fight this guy? <laughs> I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Street tacos are a not guilty at all pleasure for me, something of an obsession. They always make me happy. But Mexican food has been redefining itself in significant ways for years, here and in Mexico. Across the city, young, extremely talented chefs are taking Mexican traditions to the next level and beyond. Maybe the most exciting new frontier of modern cooking. Chef Ray Garcia, a native Angelino, is one of those pioneers. Located in the heart of downtown is Broken Spanish, a higher-end, higher-priced Mexican restaurant than most are accustomed to. Chef Eddie Ruiz and Robin Chopra are childhood friends who opened the wonderful but short-lived Alta California gastropub Corazon y Miel, which put them both on the map in L.A.'s burgeoning modern Mexican dining scene. I, I absolutely believe that the next big thing is a reevaluation of Mexican flavors and ingredients and, uh, and a reevaluation of how much you should pay. I mean, people love it, but they, their expectation is Mexican food should be cheap. And, and the fact is, there's always going to be new arrivals from Mexico who are perfectly willing to sell you, unfortunately or fortunately, really good Mexican food for very cheap, but not the kind of deep flavors that, you know, you find or I found in my travels there. 
Well, sometimes in the Mexican world, the only thing that's passed down, it's not a home, it's not a necklace. What it is is a recipe passed down from generation to generation. It all comes from these rustic dishes that our grandmothers and grandpas cooked for us. Do you have any responsibility to preserve and protect the traditional flavors and ingredients of Mexico, or, do you, or not? Yeah, of course. Everything that you see here in front of you is inspired by something that we had as a child. But how do we present that with our training, and how do we present that with our experience that's going to give people value to want to pay more for it? I think that Los Angeles is kind of a stage for that next level, and, and Chef Ray's doing a really good job of that. He's presenting stuff like this, and that's what's going to elevate people's mindset in terms of what you can do with this food. Chicharron, skin on pork, cured and salted, cooked sous vide for 36 hours, then deep fried and served with elephant garlic mojo and radish sprouts. Tamales, a slow cooked lamb neck with oyster mushrooms and queso Oaxaca. Camote, an Okinawan sweet potato filled with pork, the ears, tails, and snout, topped with a drizzle of piloncillo syrup. I got one more present for you guys here. A little pre-dessert. Eddie, I know it's your favorite, Eddie. It's my Imagine favorite. We have the, uh, the foie gras ribanada here. So it's sort of like a pre-dessert. It's my take on a, a very traditional and simple you know, Mexican pan dulce. It's just like a brioche with butter and sugar is, is the basic pan dulce. So this one, we have foie gras in our butter. We kind of up the ante a little bit. And then some piloncillo. Sweet. Thank you. Man, I am loving. I am loving this Thank meal. You. Thank I'm you. Big time. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. This is the most nostalgic dish I've ever had at a restaurant in Los Angeles. In Mexican panaderias, this is called uh, a rebanada. Wow. Nothing says my childhood like this dish right here. I've worked in French and Italian restaurants my whole career. Right. But I mean, really, if I think about it, they were Mexican restaurants and Ecuadorian residents, because the majority of the cooks and the people working with me were from those countries. That's who, you know, picked me up when I fell down, who showed me what to do when I walked in and didn't know anything and nobody knew my name. That is just the way our culture is. We're so family-oriented that that's what matters to us. At the same time, I feel like our job as chefs is to bring in our unique Latin American experience to dining. Family, tradition, food, culture. And LA is a heart of that right now, it really is. And hopefully that resonates throughout the rest of the, the country. Gang violence has been part of LA's story for the better part of a century now. Also part of the story, police corruption and brutality. Former police officer Alex Salazar was a bad cop. By his own admission, very bad. Like a lot of once good police, the streets changed him. He saw a lot of ugliness, the lines became blurred, the job ground him down, and he crossed the line repeatedly. To quote Nietzsche, those who chase monsters need to be careful that they don't become monsters. I thought I was going to arrest the bad guys. I never thought I would become a bad guy myself. 
Did you become a bad guy? Oh, I did, yes. How bad? I became very aggressive, uh, beating people, losing control, and using excessive force when there really wasn't a need for me to do that. I mean, I worked the most infamous police station ever known. It was called Rampart. One best picture for Denzel Washington uh, for his portrayal of this really bad police officer. I'm the police! I run shit here! You just live here! Was that an understatement? Were, were there cops that bad? Yes, there were. Yes, there were. I was one of them. The problem was very systemic. Uh, we don't have so much that problem anymore. It does happen. Is it not the nature of the job? When you're asked to, to, to every day go in and look at people at their most desperate and ugly, that you become desensitized and maybe even turn into a monster. Just think about it. Every day they're looking at the worst of society and maybe they have a partner that gets killed or shot. It's all very overwhelming. Many turn to alcohol and, and, and drugs to uh, medicate. And I'm not trying to be an apologist for the police uh, because, you know, they do need to be held accountable. But, you know, we need to help them. We really do because they are out there and they're the ones that are going to show up at your home. Mexican-American, living in East L.A., they're a victim of a crime. You call in the police, expecting a sympathetic response? I mean, generally speaking, what do you think the... I think most police officers show up being ready to, to help out. They, they certainly have to do their job. Take but I mean, what do you think the, the victim thinks when they place a phone call? Do you think the, they have high hopes that, that I believe my, my, my call is going to be handled with the same fervor as uh, somebody calling from Beverly Hills? While there are good officers that, that come in and, and they do help, there's also many who lose that empathetic feeling of, of, of looking at someone with brown skin or very dark skin and they say, well, you know, why am I helping out this person? There's a stupid Mexican. And, and I saw that being projected upon these people who all they wanted was help. Sol Garcia grew up in Boyle Heights and is no stranger to the challenges facing the Latino community. The Boyle Heights Running Club started as a safety and numbers project. The small group of community members started running the bridges of Boyle Heights, making their presence known. And simply by being there, by being a presence, taking their streets back from the gangs and the criminals, who too often are the default company in a one-company neighborhood. Tacos Indiana Streetcar on 4th and Clarence Street. What do you guys have? I'm in Frequented by Elisa and fellow running club member, Roly Cruz. Carne asada, the slow-grilled, marinated beef classic served as a burrito with rice and beans or simply on a tortilla as a taco. Gracias. Tacos lengua, beef tongue braised with garlic and onions. And tacos al pastor, stacked guajillo chili rub pork shoulder slices with your choice of toppings. Oh, hell yeah. 
Yet supremely satisfying sweet taco trucks like this one have served the Latino community of Boyle Heights for years. But the neighborhood is changing. Let's say it's diversifying. Well, first come the coffee shops, a couple of smart, like, hip restaurants. Hipsters arrive to rents go up. How do you stop that? Well, that, which you explained in a nutshell, is what has been going on throughout Los Angeles. The gentrification of downtown, um, it's spreading here. And in a neighborhood like this, gentrification, not to be dramatic, but the population of families that are homeless is growing. Little by little, like, the block is disappearing. Whether it's deportation, whether it's gentrification, you know, it's barely now coming to the forefront, but for the people that live and work here every day, it's, it's been a reality. There's a lot of struggles here, that if you're going to be a part of this community, like, you have to recognize that struggle. I think that the, the reality is, though, L.A. is always changing, right? So, like, uh, we are in the battle of L.A., and who's going to win in this is yet to be determined, but the fight is still going to go on. been, since the beginning, a tradition of Mexican rock and roll with its own unique sound. Richie Valens, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, Cannibal and the Headhunters, Los Cruzados, and Question Mark and the Mysterians, it should come as no surprise that rockabilly is enjoying a resurgence of sorts in the Chicano community. long and glorious tradition of Chicano rock, garage, and punk boiling away under and over the surface for years and egregiously overlooked. But what is it with the Morrissey thing? What is it about Morrissey, the Irish singer via England who sang melancholic, pathos-filled ballads that were a backdrop for a million post-breakups during the 80s that so speaks to the Chicano soul? I asked musicians and concert promoters Oscar Arguello and Albert Gamboa. Oscar thrives in the rockabilly world, while Albert is all things punk. What's up with the Morrissey thing? Apparently, in the Chicano <laughs> community, like, Morrissey is like... It's a matter of the heart. Huge. It's so, a matter of the heart, huge. man. <laughs> why why of all the bands in the world did, did Morrissey and the Smiths resonate in this community. It was a convergence of music and people that did not connect to what was being said. He connected with his lyrics. And I think everything was going so pop and so mainstream, and he was the alternative to that. And I think there is a lyrical element to his words that resonated with the Latino community. And people said that, they, that his lyrics, his songs resonated with traditional mariachi and, and that sense. And right. The songs are so much about finding something beautiful or even funny about getting relentlessly over and having shit go wrong. I, mean. <laughs> I think Morrissey really speaks, you know, it's so odd, he's this, this, white, this white guy about like displacement and this longing for, like, for a mythic home. Because when I go to Mexico, 
I'm like a sore thumb there. You know, my Spanish is horrible, the way I dress, the way I talk, but there's just something about it. Like, Morrissey really articulates that experience. He himself, he's an immigrant. He is Irish. You know, he feels displaced. Irish blood, English this is the thing about being a Mexican in the States. You're never white enough for this country, and you're never brown enough for Mexico. It is a big issue about that pocho and all that, but I know that we are Californians inherently, and I am Los Angeles. I've been dreaming of a When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.